Have you seen this commercial? It's, it's been a little while. Have you seen this one? Uh, I don't remember when this was on TV, but this commercial I always found amusing. Uh, this guy got a tattoo. It's a Milky Way, Milky Way commercial for that candy bar. And a guy got the tattoo, and it says, as you can read it, no regrets. And it's supposed to say what? No regrets. And what I love about that, that image is just this irony, the humor and that irony of a permanent reminder of something regrettable, and it's under the banner of no regrets, right? No, no regrets. And I don't know if, if the uh, creed that you live by is no regrets. I don't know if like, that's your creed or not, uh, but it's probably not the best one. Would you agree? It's probably not the best life creed. I think a much better, if you want to pick a two-word life creed, a much better one would be no excuses. That's a much better creed to live by. When, when God calls us to something, when God commands us to do something, the imaginary tattoo that should appear on our hearts is no excuses. For example, would you join me in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? I want to give you an example as we talk about uh, no excuses, doing hard things, and not making excuses for why we can't do hard things. Let's just start with this. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is a familiar passage for many of us. It says this, God saved you by His grace when you believed. It is by faith that we are saved through God's grace. You and I, we cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. The very first and most important call that God will put on your life is the call to repent of sin. To trust Jesus Christ alone as your forgiver of that sin, to believe that His death on the cross was a substitute payment to appease God's wrath against your sin, to believe that His resurrection from the dead is proof that He had victory over sin, victory over death. The greatest call that God will ever put on your life is to put all of your faith in Jesus Christ as your forgiver, as your Savior to make you right with God, to give you a new heart, to give you His Holy Spirit who will live inside of you, to be your guide, to be your comforter, to, to give you strength and courage to do hard things and to transform your life. So we see this call of God placed on those who believe in Him, to trust Christ. And it forces us to ask this question, when you die, and we will, Unless Jesus comes back and, and takes His church home to be with Him, we're going to experience death. And when you die, how many excuses will God accept for not trusting Jesus as your forgiver, as your Savior, making Him the leader of your life? How many? Take a guess. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 20. You can hold your finger. I am going to come back to Ephesians if you want to join me. In Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 11. This is a picture that Jesus gives to John, and John writes it down, a picture of the future. And here's what the future looks like. 
There's going to come a day when this will take place. Verse 11 of Revelation 20, I saw, John speaking, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. Who's the one sitting on the throne? Jesus. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Here's here's the key point. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life, was thrown into that lake of fire. No excuses. Your name is either in the book of life or it's not in the book of life, and there's only one way to have your name recorded in the book of life. It's through trust in Jesus Christ to make you right with God. Romans talks a lot about Trusting Jesus and the, and the need to trust Jesus and, and just how, how deep our sin problem really is. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Sound familiar? Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Here's the key. So that men are without excuse. Romans 1, 18 to 20. Without excuse. Romans 2, 12 says that all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. No excuse. And Romans 6.23 talks about what that punishment is. The wages of sin is what? Death, spiritual death. We just read about it in Revelation chapter 20. Spirit, it's the second death. Now, thankfully, Romans 6.23 goes on to talk about our hope. The gift of God is eternal life, and we find that gift. We receive that gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, and there's other verses. We won't take too much more time on this. But based on what God has revealed to us in His Word, when you die, how many excuses will God accept for not trusting in Jesus as your forgiver, as your Lord? And you were right. The answer is none. No excuses. So the first and most important call that God will place on your life is to repent of sin and trust Jesus as your forgiver, as your Savior, as your leader. But that's not the only call that God places on your life or on my life. Go back to Ephesians 2, verse 10, the very next verse. So we're not saved by our good works. We're only saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Good works won't get us to heaven. But verse 10 says that you and I were created for a purpose, and that purpose is, let's check it out, for we are God's masterpiece. You might have the phrase workmanship. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are God's workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And God has prepared those good works for you in advance. God's call on your life It wasn't just for the moment of salvation. That's the first and most important call in your life, but it's not the only one. It's certainly not the last one. According to verse 10, God designed you just as He intended. Everything about you, God desires to use for His glory. Even the things about yourself that you're not that jazzed over the things about yourself that you see as inadequacies, that you see as limitations, that you see as weaknesses, those are opportunities. God sees those things as opportunities to bring even more glory to Himself, to shine more glory on Him through your life, through those weaknesses and limitations. God created you with a purpose. And that purpose, according to verse 10, is to do good works. That's why you're here. Sometimes those good works are a lot of fun. And sometimes those good works are super easy. And uh, we get really excited about going to do them, like snacks for kids and and little notes of encouragement. And that's, that's good works, and that's fun, and it's easy. But sometimes God calls you to do good works that aren't so fun, that are unpleasant, that are hard. But here's what you have to remember. God created you to do it. Whatever that is, whether it's easy or hard, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, God called you to do it. He created you and designed you to do that good work. He prepared it for you. God prepared a plan for your life, to do those good works. And yeah, sometimes those those opportunities that God places before you and me, they can be scary. But God shows you to do it. There's a calling of God on your life every day to do the good works that God created you to do. He planned for you to do. And so... We have to do it. No excuses. This is the simple thought that, that I hope that you will take with you. We're going to take verse 10, and we're going, to, we're going to use that to kind of walk through the story of Moses this morning together and, and look at some of the excuses that he offered God when God called him to do something hard. But this is the simple thought that I hope that you will remember, that I hope that you will take with you. It's this. If you want a life with no regret... Live a life of no excuses. If you want a life with no regret, then live a life with no excuses. I don't know, do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever struggle with making excuses? You don't have to answer that one out loud, but maybe you do. There's probably some times when we make excuses for things that we've done wrong, that uh, that we uh, knew we shouldn't have done, or maybe something we knew we should have and we didn't do it. And then we make excuses for ourselves. There's times when we know that God wants us to do something. We feel that tug on our heart to step into that. 
And we've made excuses as to why that's too hard. Let someone else do it. I'm too busy, whatever. One of the best biblical examples of someone who struggled with making excuses is Moses. And I'd like you to join me in Exodus chapter 3. Would you go there with me? Exodus chapter 3. Even those of you who maybe don't know a whole lot about the Bible yet, you probably have heard of Moses, and many of you have heard the story of the burning bush. Even if you've got minimal exposure to uh, biblical truth or uh, Bible stories, a lot of us have heard the story of Moses and the burning bush. And so uh, the context of chapter 3 is Moses out in the wilderness, he's taking care of the sheep, and he sees a bush catch fire, which is an unusual thing, spontaneous combustion of a bush. And so he goes and he looks at it, which you know captures his attention, and it's not burning up. It just continues to burn, so which is even more curious. And so he approaches it, and uh, it's, it's God. And God speaks to him, Moses. He says, Moses. And Moses replies, here I am. God tells him, you need to take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. He was in the presence of God. And we want to pick up in the story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. God says to Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to rescue them from slavery in Egypt. And Moses, verse 10, verse 10, he says, now go. I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. You, Moses, must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. I am sending you. God could not have been more clear about the mission, the purpose for him. Go, Moses, I'm sending you. Now, one of the excuses that Christians will sometimes make when it comes to serving God, serving others, or doing hard things, they might say this, I'm just not sure what God wants me to do. I'm just not sure what God's will is for my life. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to do things my way because I just don't know what God wants me to do. That's all I know. I just keep doing my thing. To which I would say this, until God lights a bush on fire in your yard and gives you a special mission, until that happens, do the things that you already know God has called you to do. What are the things that we know God has called every believer to do? Maybe God hasn't set a bush on fire in your yard and said, this is what I want. I want you to go to Africa and, and, uh, and be a missionary. Maybe God hasn't done that. But there are things that God has called every believer to do. One of them is in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says this. Want to look at it? If you're quick uh, looking things up, you can look at it with me. Maybe you even have it memorized. Matthew 28, Jesus gives the believer this mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Jesus called us to make disciples and to train those disciples, to share our faith and to strengthen the faith of other Jesus followers. That's our call. That's the call that Jesus has put on our lives. And if you say, well, you know, I, I, would, I would do that. I would totally do that. I would, I would make disciples, but I don't know how. I don't know how to do that. 
you are in luck. We are offering discipleship training. You're in luck. It starts next Sunday at 9.30. You can register on the website today. We'll see you there. No excuses. If, if you're saying, I don't know how to do it, we're saying, that's okay. We'll show you. We'll teach you how to make disciples. No excuses. If you are wondering what God has called you to do as a middle school or a senior high student, because I know what that's like. You know, when you're younger, you're like, ah, maybe when I get older, uh, then I'll know what God wants to do with my life. I'm not sure what he wants to do right now because I'm in school. And you know, what can I do? Right? I remember what that feels like. If you're wondering what God is calling you to do right now in middle school or in high school, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy. He said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, right? The things that come out of your mouth, in life, the life choices that you make every day, in love, the way that you treat others, in faith, the way that, the way that you live out what you uh, know the scripture to teach, the way that you trust God with the things that are hard, and impurity. There's a lot of impurity happening in our schools more probably than what we want to admit. And you can do this. If you're in middle school, if you are in senior high, you can do this. You can be an example of what a Jesus-centered life looks like. You can do that. It's not always going to be easy, but God's calling you to do that. God's calling you to be that follower, that light in a dark place. No excuses. If you're wondering what God has called you to do as a believer, there's tons of verses that call believers to live righteous lives. Tons of them. There's tons of verses that talk about uh, living our lives like Jesus, patterning our attitude after Him, our, our life choices after His, and, and, and submitting ourselves to His teachings. Tons of them. So while you're waiting for an angel to appear and scare your socks off, with some message from God to go to Africa, like, well, you're waiting for that to happen. Do the things that God has already called you to do. Just live a Jesus-centered life. And if at some point God moves in your heart to do something bigger than that, all right, well, then answer that call in that moment. In the meantime, while you're waiting, live a Jesus-centered life. Do the things you already know that God's called every one of us as believers to do. If you want to live a life with no regrets... Live a life of no excuses. Moses expressed another common excuse in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. So God says, Moses, I'm, I'm calling you. Here's a clear mission, a clear purpose. I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And his immediate response in verse 11 of Exodus 3, Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And I love God's answer to this excuse. He says, I'll be with you. I will be with you. 
the common excuse, who am I? I'm nothing special. I'm not a strong leader. I'm, I'm not that talented. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, he continues, uh, he says, uh, Moses protested again. Well, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Go to verse 10. Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and, and my words get tangled. Just different ways of expressing the same excuse. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not brave enough. Lord, would you, would you just please pick someone else? I'm not the one. Now, I would say the good part about this tension that we see in Moses and maybe even in you is a humble heart. That can be a really good thing because God can't use a pride-filled heart. If our attitude is, yeah, no wonder you picked me. I'm clearly the best choice for this, right? If that's your attitude, then we've got problems. So a humble heart can be a really good thing. But the bad part of this tension that, that, that Moses expresses, and then maybe you have experienced, is it reveals this lack of faith, this lack of faith in God to give us what we need to do what God is calling us to do. You ready for some deep questions? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I know it's early. You ready? Like, if you're still thinking about the regurts tattoo, focus with me, all right? If you're still stuck on that, you need to focus. I want you to think back to Ephesians 2.10. You're God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. God created you to do good works, and those good works He's prepared for you. I want you to think about that. And I, I just want to double down on this question. Who is it that created you? And the answer we know is God created you. Do you believe that? Like, I don't mean in theory. I mean, do you believe that God created you personally exactly as He intended? Do you really believe that? Do you believe, when I, when I, if I were to ask you, uh, who is it that prepared these opportunities for the good works specifically for you? Because that's what that verse is claiming, that God not only wired you and created you and designed you as He intended, but that He also has a specific plan for your life with good works designed for you to do. Do you really believe that? Then have faith that God will equip you. And be with you to do whatever it is that he calls you to do. You know, when Moses tried to use the excuse, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. I get tongue-tied. Did you notice uh, that God's response? Let's just look at it real quick. Go, go back when he says in verse uh, 10, I'm not good with words. I get tongue-tied. Look at uh, God's response in verse 11. Who makes a person's mouth? Who, who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go! No excuses. What I notice there is that God doesn't say, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Moses. I didn't realize you had limitations. 
Sorry to bother you. I didn't, I didn't realize. Uh, I'll go find someone who's better than you. It's not what God said. God says, no, 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 go. I'll help you. I'll be with you. I will teach you. I will equip you. I will supply what you need when you need it to do what I'm calling you to do. You want a life with no regrets, live a life of no excuses. Moses expressed another common excuse, and it's a little different uh, way of wording it than maybe you and I would word it, but if you go back to Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses protested, protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, the question, what is his name, probably seems like a, a weird type of excuse to us, but many of the Hebrew people worship the gods of Egypt. And Egyptians believed that you needed to know the personal name of the deity you were worshiping. If you wanted the deity to listen to you, if you wanted that deity to bless you, uh, you needed to know the personal name of that deity. And so Moses was really asking, what if the people don't believe in you? I'm going to show up and I'm going to, I'm going to say that God sent me and uh, that this is what uh, he wants us to do. What if they don't believe in you? And maybe you've used that same excuse. What if the people I work with, what if the people that I go to school with, the people in my family don't believe in God? How am I going to convince them that you're real? How am I going to convince them that you love them? How am I going to convince them that Jesus died for them? I don't have a theology degree. I'm not a Bible expert. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's the first thing. That's part one. Determine in your heart you're going to live a Jesus-centered life, that you're going to put Jesus first. Start there. But here's the next part. Not only do we put Jesus first, but it also says in 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What hope is he talking about? He's talking about our hope in Jesus Christ, right? Not hope that... Uh, this happens or that happens, something random. It's the hope in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, with gentleness and respect, I want to say to you, stop using the excuse, I'm not a theologian. Stop using the excuse, I'm not a Bible expert. Number one, you can always tell people your salvation story. You don't have to be a Bible expert to tell people what Jesus has done in your life. Every one of us can do that. If you've got a genuine relationship with Jesus, if that's real in your life, you can talk about it because it's real, because it's something you've experienced. And number two, I would say get prepared. 
If you don't have answers, if you can't give good answers, then put in the work. Put in the work and learn the answers. It's not an excuse to be a Christian. Uh, it's not a good excuse to be a Christian for 20, 30 years and, and still not be able to answer uh, basic biblical questions. Put in the work. I understand when people are, are brand new believers and they don't have basic Bible understanding. That makes sense. But if we're a Christian 10, 20 years later and we still don't know some of the basics, put in the work. Get prepared. If you don't feel like you've got good answers, then study more. Put a, put a, a stronger effort into learning more about your faith. No one's going to do that for you. You know, the next time that you are afraid to share your faith and, and you feel like you want to make an excuse about it, I want you to remember what Jesus said in John 16, 7. John 16, 7. Listen to this. Jesus said, in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Context, Jesus is going to die. He's going to raise from the dead. And then he's going to go back to heaven. He said, this is good. This is a good thing that I go away. It's good for you. Why? Because if I don't, the advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Who does all of that? The Holy Spirit does all of that. Yes, it is our God-given responsibility and mission to live out our faith, to share our faith with others, to share the hope that we have in Jesus. That's our mission. That's our responsibility. But the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes lives. It's not us. We don't do that. We can't save anyone. Only Jesus can do that. We can't change hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And when God said that His name is I am, I will be what I will be, He was declaring to Moses that all other existence in the universe is derived from God. When God said, I am, He was revealing that He is unlimited, absolute, self-dependent, and unchangeable. God's resources are unlimited. They are inexhaustible. His power is absolute and infinite. His power does not diminish. God never grows weary. I say all of that not only because it's in the text, but just a reminder to you that you and I... We don't have to have some slick marketing strategy to persuade people to believe in God. Just focus on knowing Him, as Peter says. Just focus on knowing Him yourself. Make living a Jesus-centered life your priority. And then watch for the opportunities that God puts in front of you, like we see in Ephesians 2.10. You live a Jesus-centered life. God will take care of providing you opportunities to share your faith. You step into those opportunities with faith and courage that God will help you make the most of those opportunities and then just leave the rest up to God. 
When you share your faith, don't measure success or failure of that conversation on whether or not that person drops to their knees in repentance right then and there. According to those who study evangelism, most people hear the gospel seven, on average seven times before they trust Jesus as their Savior. And you don't know where you are in, 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 that, in that number of times of exposure to the gospel. You could be number three. Maybe you are number seven and you have the incredible blessing of, of uh, kneeling down and, and praying with this person and leading them to Christ, which will be amazing, but maybe you're one. Maybe you're number three. Maybe you're number six. Don't give up. Give this person your best. Trust the results of those opportunities to God because only He can change the heart. If you want a life with no regrets, live a life of no excuses. Listen, I don't, I don't know what God is calling each one of you to do. I do know that God is probably not going to light a bush on fire in your yard. I'm pretty confident that's... I'm not saying God can't. God wants to light all your trees on fire. He can do that if He wants. He's probably not going to light a bush on fire in your yard and, and give you a special mission for your life. That's probably not how He's going to do it. But it may be that you are a student. Maybe you're middle school. Maybe you're a high school student. And you, even now, you feel God drawing you towards maybe missions. You feel this draw in your heart towards maybe a full-time ministry. We have uh, the, the head of the chaplains that comes here maybe once a year, and, and maybe that's what God is drawing your heart towards, ministry in the military. Right? And if God is, is drawing you, if you feel that, if you sense that, then uh, my challenge, my encouragement to you, talk to your parents about that. Come talk to a, one of the pastors about that, and, and let's just pray over that together. And I don't mean like a one-and-done kind of prayer. I mean, let's, let's take time, and, and over a season, over a period of time, let's just commit ourselves to pray and, and ask God, is this what you're calling this young woman, this young man into, towards? Maybe you believe that you need to do good works that God has prepared for you, but you just don't know where to start. Like, you're not disagreeing with the things that we talked about today, but you just don't know where to start. You are in luck. We have a spiritual gift tool on our website. It's really easy to find. Uh, Take the spiritual gift, just click on the button, you fill out the stuff, and all that information uh, kicks back to you, and then it goes to one of our pastors, and one of our pastors will get in touch with you, and uh, we'll help you. We'll help you explore some of the different opportunities that are available. We'll find something that fits, and, uh, and, and, and we'll train you to do it. We'll do everything we possibly can to help you do good works that God has created you to do. No excuses. There's one more verse that I want you to see. It's in Exodus chapter 4. Before we finish, Exodus 4, 13. After all of this, excuse after excuse. And God uh, says, no, I'll be with you. No, I'll give you what you need. 
After all of this, verse 13, Moses again pleaded, begged, Lord, please send someone else. Moses was called by God to do good works that God had prepared for him, not someone else, for him to do. And Moses' response was, please send someone else. Is that you? Has that been your posture before God? Look at verse 14. Because if that's been your posture before God, you need to see verse 14. God's patient. God is loving and full of grace and mercy. But what does it say in verse 14? God's anger burned against Moses. I don't, I don't know about you. But that's not where I want to be with God. Thankfully, Moses obeyed. And when you watch his story, when you read his story, he continued to obey. He stopped making excuses because Moses learned to live by faith. He learned to trust God to help him do the good works that God created him to do. Listen. There is a calling on your life every day to do the good works that God designed you, created you to do, and has prepared for you to do in advance every day. So the challenge that I want to offer you is this. Start every day, start every morning, whether it's the first thing you do when you roll out of bed or before you walk out the door, sometime before you get your day rolling, start the day with this simple prayer. Lord, what good works do you want me to do today? Help me to see them and give me the courage to do them, even if they're hard, no excuses. A simple prayer, just to start your day. Lord, I don't know what this day is going to bring, but I want to be in your will. I don't know what good works you prepared for me to do today, but I need the courage to, to, to do them, and I need, I, need, uh, I need you to just reveal them to me as I walk through the day and give me the presence of mind, however you want to word. It doesn't have to be word for word what I just gave you, but just this heart attitude that I want to do what you are calling me to do today. And then, then you get up the next morning and you do it all over again. We all have responsibilities and we all have a schedule and we all have things that we need to get accomplished. And it is in those things, it is in your schedule throughout the day that God has intended to use you. And I don't know what those things are. I don't know when they're going to come. But I absolutely believe because of what Scripture reveals that throughout your day, God intends to use you. More than once, probably, to do good works for His glory, for the benefit of others, to draw people to the gospel. You want to live a life with no regrets. Live a life with no excuses. Lord, thanks.